big thank you to those of you who prayed for me this uh, past week. And I don't want to talk about myself, but I got a good report and thankful. And thanks for your love and, and prayers. Well, we're going to talk about something this morning that is really important. And that is, uh, what do you do when another Christian that you know does something bad? When another Christian that you know does something obviously wrong, obviously sinful. And that's a very real part of life in the church family. I mean, it's, it's part of life in a human family, and it's a very real part of life in a church family. And so often, these kinds of situations are just terribly mishandled. I mean, they're just butchered. Or even more often, they are just ignored altogether. You know, in many churches, that's just how we deal with people's faults and sins and problems. We just just ignore them altogether. But Paul tells us here in these verses how we're to do it. How we're to do it in a spirit-led, spiritual way. Now, to get the, the flow of thought here, I, I actually I had our passage start with uh, the end of chapter 5 because I, I think you have to really catch the context to really understand this. And The end of chapter 5 says, Since we live by the Spirit, since we have new life, since we're born of the Spirit, since we are new people by the, by the work, by the power of the Holy Spirit, since we live by the Spirit then let us also be guided by the Spirit or let us be led by the Spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit. Let's stop being arrogant, provoking one another and envying one another. So the the very mark that you are guided by the Spirit, the very mark that we are led by the Spirit is that we are living in love and humility with one another. I mean, there there is no such thing as a spirit-led, spirit-filled person and not having this attitude of love and humility toward our brothers and sisters. So, So Paul says, let's do this, let's not do this. Let let us let us be guided by the Spirit. Let's not be arrogant and ugly and mean with each other. So being guided by the Spirit is, is, is living on a completely different plane. It's to live on a, on a different level of life than to live in conflict and strife, comparison and envy. So if, if you are in the Spirit, if you are being guided by the Spirit, you're, you're not going to be a troublemaker. You're not stirring up strife. You're not looking down your nose at others. The very essence of being in the Spirit is to love in this kind of humility and love and grace with each other. So, uh, here, here in a very, just one other little message here before we kind of really get into Galatians chapter 6. Here is a very simple way for you to evaluate your relationship with the Spirit at any given moment. If, if you are being proud and demanding, and difficult, you are not in the Spirit. You're not being guided by the Spirit. You are just not, no matter what excuses you might make. Uh, and when you realize that you're not being guided by the Spirit, then we are to deal drastically with that. We're to, 
we are to renounce the flesh. We are to repudiate the deeds of the flesh. We are to consider ourselves crucified with Christ and dead to sin. It's a very, very drastic kind of thing, deal, that we are to, way that we are to deal with sin in our lives. And then we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit freshly or anew to walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness etc and I, i'm just that's just that's just how we that's just how we live the christian life and it's an exciting life to continually adjust yourself to the holy spirit to continually to, to continually get yourself back on track to being guided by the holy spirit and being led by the holy spirit it's a it's a it's a thrilling um empowering adv- adventure and so then paul says well well here is how this spirit-filled living works when someone is caught doing something wrong uh, when you see somebody sin uh, when you see something somebody show immaturity or or have a really bad attitude that should not pull you out of your walk in the Spirit. In other, other words, you don't treat flesh with flesh, okay? You come against people's sin with the Spirit, not with a response of your own sin toward it. You don't respond to the faults of others with harshness and pride and superiority. You remain in the Spirit. You remain humble, patient, gentle, loving. In other words, you deal with this disobedience of others in in the spirit. Verse 1 says, brothers, if a person is caught doing something wrong, those of you who are spiritual should restore that person gently. The ESV says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I think the King James says if anyone is overtaken by a fault. It's just the same idea, just expressed di- different ways. Now, I think it's really important to just take a minute and talk about this, this, this phrase, those of you who are spiritual. Those of you who are spiritual means those of you who are consistently living in communion with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer wrote a book I read a long time ago that meant a lot to me. It was, and the title of the book was He That Is Spiritual. And it's, it was taken from this verse. Those who are spiritual or he that is spiritual, the person that is spiritual. And one of the things he said in that book is that he that is spiritual is spiritual because he is rightly related to the Holy Spirit. And... I don't know how well that communicates to you, but to me, that, that, is, that, that is the whole Christian life, <laughs> continually keeping yourself rightly related to the Holy, Holy Spirit. So those who are spiritual are those who pay attention to the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're those who don't ignore the promptings and impulsings and voice of the Holy Spirit. They value, they are those who value this inner connectedness to the Holy Spirit and they walk in that. Now, no one does it perfectly, but many walk in it consistently enough that Paul or other Christians could look at them and say, 
they are those who are spiritual. And so that's what Paul is talking about here when he says those who are spiritual should handle this situation. Now, this is not a a special category reserved for certain people. I mean, to be spiritual is the normal Christian life that every one of us is called to. But I think this this very phrase, I think just reading this phrase should, should stir up your heart to want to walk with the Holy Spirit in such a way that you would be considered among those who are spiritual. Amen? Now, in this book of Galatians, Paul has contrasted throughout, and I'm not going to go back into chapter and verse and, and, and detail it, but he's, he's dealt with all throughout the book of Galatians with this contrast between uh, the spirit and the law. He's contrasted the life of living by the Spirit or in the Spirit with the life of works and law-keeping or the flesh. And these two opposite ways of living show up very clearly in our relationships with one another, especially when someone stumbles into sin. The way of the Spirit leads to humility and grace and patience The way of law and works often leads to spiritual pride. A man by the name of Theodore Epp wrote wrote a tremendous commentary on Galatians uh, called Spirit and Flesh in Conflict. But he said, The man after the flesh will reveal himself or herself by the way he treats a fellow believer who has failed at some point or other. He will measure the erring brother or sister by the standards of the law, or by some standards set up by man. The person guided by law and works will condemn the person who fell and merely call them back to law-based living. The spiritual person will seek to restore them to faith in Jesus Christ and living in the Spirit. Warren Wiersbe also said, Nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. We are not called to be legalists harshly judging those who don't follow our laws or rules, but we are called to be spiritual. We are to restore the one overtaken by a fault with gentleness. Now, Paul seems to have in mind here a person who doesn't want to live in sin, but was caught in a trespass or overtaken by a fault. And it seems to be a person who perhaps is, is, even, is even aware of their guilt and their sin. Uh, this, this person is conscience-stricken and is feeling the burden of his or her sin. In other words, it, it seems like Paul is not talking about a, just an out-and-out rebel not talking about someone who is just stubbornly persisting in their sin, but a person who, who got overtaken or, or, or caught by the power of temptation. And this is the kind of person who should be restored with gentleness. Unfortunately, there are times when some people are just not willing to leave their sins behind. 
And no matter how much you seek to restore them, even with gentleness, they won't listen. And there are other firmer approaches that sometimes need to be taken. And simply to be true to other passages in the Bible, I, I mention that. Uh, there, is, there is a person that, that needs a strong rebu- rebuke. I mean, Paul told Titus, uh, rebuke them sternly. There's just, I mean, sometimes, and, and I, but I think even with that, you're still doing it with, with, a, with a kind of gentleness and spirit-led condition. But, but Paul does tell, tell Titus, cert, for a certain type of person, he says, rebuke them sternly or rebuke them uh, sharply, as it says in some versions. There, there are some, some versions. There, there is a person that sins to, the, to, to a point and, and, and refuses correction, needs church discipline. But that's, that's not the type of, 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 of stubborn, uh, resistant person that Paul has in mind here. Uh, Luther deals with the same thing um, in his commentary on Galatians. And I hope I'm not putting too much emphasis on this, but I, 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 think, it's, uh, I, think, I think it's important, especially for those of you who have... Uh, who have ever gotten really involved in, in trying to restore a person that that, is, that is sinned or stumbled. Uh, this is a great quote from Luther. He said, Let the ministers of the gospel learn from Paul how to deal with those who have sinned. Brethren, he says, If any man be overtaken with a fault, do not aggravate his grief. Do not scold him. Do not condemn him. But lift him up and gently restore his faith. If you see a brother despondent over a sin he has committed, run to him, reach out your hand to him, comfort him with the gospel, and embrace him like a mother. I love that. But when you meet a willful sinner who does not care, go after him and rebuke him sharply. But this is not the treatment for the one who has been overtaken by a sin and is sorry. He must be dealt with in the spirit of meekness and not in the spirit of severity. A repentant sinner is not to be given gall and vinegar to drink. Very good balance there. Now, the end of verse 1 says, watch out for yourself so that you are not tempted as well. So, You who are spiritual, you go to this person, you seek to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, and you watch out for yourself that you are not tempted as well. And all throughout this this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul seems to be really concerned about an attitude of superiority or smugness or spiritual pride creeping in to any one of us when we are dealing with another person in the church, particularly when they have stumbled. So he says, watch out for yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Instead of proudly thinking uh, that this other person, this other guy, this other gal is is such a hopeless loser for, for falling into this temptation, you should humbly be on guard that you do not fall into temptation. Now, it doesn't say that you are necessarily tempted to do the same thing that your brother or sister did. 
It just says, watch out that you are not tempted as well. You're to to remember your own weaknesses and the possibility of falling. If if not in the same way, perhaps in a different way. You know, we, we all are subject to different temptations and you, you may see somebody do something wrong and you think, I would never do that. And, you know, and to some degree that might be true. Uh, it might just be a sin that, that you don't find in a, any sort of attraction or pull toward that you're not tempted to. But to be blindly unaware that you could be tempted and fall is a proud and dangerous way to think. Anytime that you hear or see somebody in the body of Christ sinning, um, falling, stumbling, uh, doing something really immature, doing something obviously wrong, your response should be, or at least part of your response should be, okay? Part of your response should be, Lord, I don't ever want to do that. Keep me from sinning. Keep me from falling. Keep me from evil. And I think that's a, a part of the way that, that spiritual people live. They, they, they hate sin. They don't want to sin. And so they, are, they, they live on guard. They live constantly on guard against sin sin against that they do not fall into temptation. So we are, we are to try to restore others to, to fellowship uh, without exuding any kind of sense of superiority or that we could never do anything wrong uh, without any kind of smugness about our own walk with God. So this is the, the attitude of heart, the gentleness the gentle spirit, the love and the humility that we are to go to that person who has stumbled in any kind of sin. Uh, but there is something else here that, that we might easily miss. And that is that we do go to the person and seek to restore them. It's very easy to stay away from someone who has sinned. It's very easy to avoid saying anything to them about it. It's very easy to just act like nothing ever happened. It's very easy uh, to communicate by your silence that perhaps you even condone or approve of what they did. Uh, it's, it's very easy just to say, who am I to judge and leave this fallen brother or sister uh, continuing on in their fault, caught in it, and burdened down or struggling with guilt. It's the easiest thing in the world to just let them go. But God's way is that you care enough to confront, that you care enough, you love enough to inconvenience yourself, to make yourself suffer the the uncomfortableness of going and seeking to restore them. So you go with gentleness... You go with gentleness of spirit, but you do go. And sometimes that person will readily uh, confess or acknowledge what they've done. 
often they're just already aware of it and you just need to be there to help guide them back into an assurance of forgiveness and, and back onto the path of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, other times people need to be shown their fault and, and just reminded of the kind of life and attitude that God has called them to. Uh, but either way, we're to, we're to do it with gentleness and with, with patience. But again, I think this is a, re- it's a really important part. Is if, we, if we seek to be spiritual people, if we seek to be led by the Spirit, then those who are such, those who are Spirit-led people, those who are spiritual people will go. They will go to the brother or sister, young or old, and seek to restore them. And as a result, there, sh- there should not be, there should not be a person among us who is caught in some kind of sin that that we are not seeking as a church family to restore and bring back to the the joy and the victory of walking with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So the the evidence that that you're a a spirit-filled person or that that you are among those who are spiritual, as as Paul says, is that that you're willing to restore a person caught in doing wrong and and that you do it with gentleness, patience, humility, and pity. Now, as I I already said, it seems like Paul has in mind a person here who who generally is walking with the Lord, who generally is on a good path, Uh, generally a person who who doesn't want to live in sin. They want to live for Jesus, but they're, they're caught or overtaken by a fault, and, and because of that, they are they're weighed down or they're burdened down. They're carrying this this burden of having stumbled. So so that's why I think Paul says in verse two, bear one another's burdens or or carry each other's burdens. Sin does weigh people down. And sometimes they don't even realize how weighed down and how burdened down or how unhappy they are being caught or overtaken in, in this sin or fault. But it's, it's just an absolute reality that, that doing wrong, speaking wrong weighs on a person. The person is burdened um, by guilt, by discouragement. Uh, he or she may be burdened with a sense of hopelessness. Uh, they must. They may feel trapped, caught, may feel in some kind of bondage. And any any genuine believer, any genuinely born again people person, any born again believer who is caught doing something wrong will be weighed down by that. So we are to help lift that burden. We're to go to that person, help lift that burden to restore them to the experience and the joy of forgiveness the joy of salvation, the joy of walking again in the Spirit. Uh, we're to help them to get free, in other words. We're to help to get them free from the wrongdoing that they fell into. Uh, we're to restore them back to that place of, of, of faith and assurance and, as I've said, walking in the Spirit, which is living in righteousness, peace, and joy. You know, we don't, when we see somebody sin, stumble, fall, do something obviously wrong, we don't, we don't just say, hey, nobody's perfect and sort of just trivialize their wandering away from God. 
It, it is more than that. We are to lift them back to a place of walking with God and enjoying God and living for God. We're to bring them, help bring them back to a place of overcoming the world, the devil, and the flesh rather than remaining caught by being overcome by those things. So, God wants us to be in this kind of uh, in-depth spiritual relationship with one another. He does. He wants us to be connected to one another in, in such a way that if, if a brother or sister stumbles, we'll go to them. Or if we stumble, somebody will come to us. Uh, one, of the, one of the great tragedies today is that many Christians are so isolated and so disconnected to a local church family and they fall and, and they don't even know how far from, from God they are or how far they've fallen. And there's no one around who will help them to see that and lead them back to God or restore them. I think in, this, in the context of, of this passage, I, I, I believe this is what, it, is what it means to bear one another's burdens. But so this verse deals with one way that we bear one another's burdens or this passage deals with one way we bear one another's burdens. But, but we are to carry one another's burdens in many ways. In other words, this is a general principle that we as believers are to follow. That we are, we're, to, we're to be people who, who carry, help others carry their loads. We are to uh, bear one another's burdens in, in many ways. Uh, when people around us are hurting in any way, when they're experiencing trouble in their home uh, or marriage or with their kids or when they're having difficulties on the job or with money or when they're having health problems or grieving some loss uh, or even with your kids or young people, when we know that they're struggling with something or wrestling with something, we're, we're to go help lift that load. We're, help, we're to go help lift that burden off of them. Uh, regardless of what a person's burden is, uh, we are to help them carry it. Bible commentator by the name of David Guzik said, look for a brother or sister with a burden and help them with it. It isn't complicated. It doesn't take a huge program or infrastructure to do it. Just look for a burden to bear and bear it. I love that. I mean, if you want to get plugged into ministry, I mean, if, if you want God to use your life, I mean, a lot of people sometimes go for decades saying, you know, I want God to use my life. I want to get plugged into ministry and almost kind of like waiting for somebody else to plug them in or waiting for the church to plug them in or something. And if you want to get plugged into ministry, if you want God to use your life, uh, I, I can't think of a better description of what you should do. <laughs> go love somebody. Go find somebody with a burden and help them carry it. That is, that is the ministry. He also points out something which I think is, is, is really good, which I'll get to in just a second. But a terrible way for you to use this verse would be to think people are supposed to be carrying my burdens and then you start judging them for not doing that, okay? 
It's, it's, it's interesting how Satan can twist the scriptures around, right? And, but a lot of people can, you know, we can, we can do that. And again, I quote David Guzik. The focus is not on expect others to bear your burdens. That is self-focused and always leads to pride, frustration, discouragement, and depression. Instead, God always directs us to be others-focused, and he says, bear one another's burdens. So, again, not to be too repetitive, but just kind of state where we're at here. Spiritual people, which, which we all are to be, we seek to, pers- seek to restore the person who stumbles, we seek to do it with a spirit of gentleness, and we are people who just bear other people's burdens. If, you're, if you are led by the Spirit, you, you're, gonna, you're just going to find yourself being drawn to other people's burdens. You're going to be touched and moved by people's burdens. You're going to become a burden bearer. You're going to become a person who's involved and engaged with other people and seeking in some way. Well, I'll do it in different ways. Some people do it with the Word, with prayer, with gifts. With, I mean, there's just all kinds of different ways. Not, it's, there's a variety of ways that you can do it. God will lead you in that. He will show you that. But as you are filled and led with the Spirit, you're going to become a, a man or a woman who is going and carrying other people's burdens, lifting up people's load, lifting up people's hearts. Again, I quote from Theodore Epp, We shall not live for ourselves when the Holy Spirit fills us we will stand in the place of bearing the burdens of many needy souls. We, will not, we shall not live for ourselves when the Holy Spirit fills us. We will stand in the place of bearing the burdens of many needy souls. May God make that a reality in our lives. Verse 2 goes on. In doing this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And this this effort that you make to go and lift other people's burdens is fulfilling the most important thing that Christ has called you to do, to love one another. This burden bearing is just a practical way that you fulfill the law or the commandment of, of Christ. And thankfully, as, as believers, born-again believers, this is, this is not merely an external law, but it's a law that is written in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the very love of God, the very love of God itself has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit. And that's going to result in you getting out there and carrying other people's burdens. Now, in the remaining verses, uh, Paul continues kind of on this diatribe against pride and superiority. And I really think that's what he's just continuing uh, to say here. Uh, Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is really nothing, he is only fooling himself. Okay, the one thing that could keep you from being a, a man or a woman who, who 
seeks to restore brother, your brothers and sisters, the one thing that could keep you from being uh, a man or a woman who in love reaches out to carry other people's burden is to just think that you are really something or that you are too good for this. Some in the church, I think Paul is apparently concerned, that some in the church might think that because, because they were not the one who was overtaken by the fault, okay, because they are not the one who stumbled, that they are superior or just inherently better than the one who fell in this trespass. And instead of, instead of seeking to restore that person who's done something wrong... Um, some people just seem to enjoy uh, judging them and, and feeling superior to them. But the person who, who feels superior or smug, Paul says, the person who thinks they're really something, in other words, is just deceiving them themselves. And they, they might be caught in a far more serious sin of this spiritual pride or spiritual superiority. So as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, we, we, we are, I mean, we are something in the sense that we're, we're created by God and, and God loved us and gave his son for us. I mean, in a, in, in, certainly in, in some sense, we are something. We are a child of God. I mean, we're, we are uh, valued and precious in God's sight. But we are nothing in the sense that we have, no, we have nothing to boast about before God. Apart from what Jesus did for us on the cross, we would have no righteous standing before God ever. And apart from the life of the Spirit working in us, we would be incapable of living for God. We'd be incapable of living righteous lives filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So a genuinely spiritual person knows this. A genuinely spiritual person knows that their strength, their goodness, their, their righteousness is all from the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And he is not going around projecting an image that he or she is really something or somebody special above other people. Not at all. Uh, instead, the one who is spiritual will exude the sense of gentleness, humility, and lowliness. And, uh, and others will, will sense that too. They won't sense, well, this is a person that really, really, really thinks there's something special. This, this person really thinks they're hot stuff in a spiritual sense. That's not what you're going to feel off of a, a spiritual man or woman. Now, in verses 4 and 5, um, again, I think Paul still has in mind those who, who may feel superior to the one who has sinned. And he says, each person must examine his own actions and then he can boast about his own accomplishments and not about someone else or not in comparison to someone else for everyone must carry his own load. All right. A lot of people get confused with this passage. Okay. And it may sound like a contradiction because Paul just told us 
to carry other people's burdens. But in the first case, Paul is saying we're to, we're to help ease the burdens of others by, by helping to lift their load when they're troubled and distressed by various sins and faults and perhaps the guilt and discouragement of that. But in this case, he's talking about carrying the load of, of your own walk with God. And let, let me explain this, okay? I think we probably lose something in translation a little bit. I think it was probably totally clear when Paul wrote this to the Galatians. But he has in mind the person who would be, who would be very critical of a sinning brother and at the same time is not carrying the load of the things God has called him or her to do. Okay? And this happens all the time. People are all worked up about that other person in the church who stumbled and fell, and they don't take care of their own backyard, so to speak. And that's basically what Paul is saying. So he says, do all that God calls you to do, and then you can have something to boast about. Okay, it's his it's his it's his way of calling people down off of this this pinnacle of pride. You with me? Does it make sense? Okay. <clears throat> and you you don't fulfill your all that God has called you to do. You don't carry your own load, so to speak, by constantly pointing out and gloating over the errors of others. So. So Paul says, don't get, don't get your sense of spiritual progress out of comparing yourself to other people. Uh, the NIV says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Um, but again, the idea is don't think you're really something because you, because you didn't sin like your spouse or that other person in the church. No, you must answer for your own life. Therefore, examine your own self, your own life. Be careful how you walk and talk. And if you're doing all that you're supposed to do, then, then you can boast. You know, and one of the great difficulties in uh, resolving most any kind of conflict between people, and especially one of the great difficulties in, in resolving marriage conflict, is that so often each person can only, and I mean only, see the other person's faults and sins and needs. And so they only bring accusations against the other person without any sense of self-examination. And Paul says, that's, that's, not, how, that's not how we deal with other people's faults. We, we make sure we're, we're, we're examining ourselves, that we're, that we're taking care of our own backyard, so to speak. And so we all, we all need this. Uh, now, I was, I was greatly blessed by a quote by A.W. Tozier, and I know some, I've shared this with some people, and, and they think, well, that's not right. But, but it's, always ble- it's always blessed me and helped me, and it could be misinterpreted. But he, he had an essay on how to make 
spiritual progress. Okay, he had steps. If you really want to make spiritual progress, he had a list of things that you should do and how to make spiritual progress. And one of them was to be hard on yourself and easy on others. Okay, and a lot of people immediately react, oh, you shouldn't be hard on yourself. Okay, I get that. You know, there's a sense in which we should be merciful <laughs> to ourselves as we're merciful to others. But, but there's, that's, I think that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Uh, be hard on yourself, easy on others. Be, be, be quicker to examine your own life than to, than to examine somebody else's life and then feel proud in comparison to that. That makes sense. Hope I didn't throw anybody uh, off track too far with that. All right. I just want to wrap up with um, four or five things that we've already talked about, but just just kind of final reminders from this passage. Number one, blessed are those rare people who will go to a person who has fallen or done something wrong. This is, it's a mark of a spiritual person. Um, they see someone caught in a fault. They know how dangerous it is. They want that person to be free. They also know the internal guilt and turmoil that person is likely undergoing and they go and lift that burden of guilt and despair and sin off of that person. So if you, I just want to say to any of you, any of you who, who have ever done that, any of you who are do, presently doing that, any of you who will do that, I just want to say the blessing of the Lord is upon you because it's a good thing and it's a hard thing to do. Blessed are those who will go and seek to restore a person who's fallen. Secondly, if you have ever been that person caught in a fault, you should highly appreciate those who come to you to help you. Don't attack them. Don't slander them. uh, Don't bite their head off. Very few people will love you enough to help you when you are overtaken by a fault. And you should, you should appreciate them when, when it happens. James 5.19, it's a little different situation, but it says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In other words, James is saying, if you wander from the truth and someone brings you back, he's saying that person is doing you a big time favor. So appreciate that when it happens. Number three, blessed are those who go to other people in a spirit of humility in love. It's easy to unload on somebody when, when they sin, particularly in a close relationship or a spouse. Or it's, it's, it's easy to just let them have it. Um, but it takes the Spirit of God to deal with our brothers and sisters and spouses uh, gently and with patience. And then finally, really take this to heart to be a burden lifter, to be a burden bearer, to be a person who looks for people who are carrying a load and then go and find a way to lighten their load. Pray. Ask God to show you people like that. Ask, ask God to, to direct you in those situations. Ask him um, to show you how you can go do that. Listen to the Spirit and then go and seek to be a 
a burden lifter, a person who lifts burdens off of people. That is being like Jesus. That is lifting. That is lifting uh, burdens. He lifted our burdens. He carried our load, the load of our sins. He bore upon himself. He took all of the sin, all of, not, not a word I use very often, but all the crap, all the moral darkness in your life, all your sin, and he took that all upon himself. And so we are being like Jesus when we bear one another's burdens. Pray, listen to the Holy Spirit, and go do that. Let's pray.